take our Bibles go to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And uh, it's good to be here tonight, good to sing. And we, I appreciate uh, when people here sing loud. It's good to sing loud, uh, enthusiastically. And I, I meant to mention this morning, but the, this morning is really good. It's really nice. Uh, the singing was great, and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, one day when we get to heaven, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing to God. And we're going to worship him, for he is worthy. And so we might as well get used to it now, amen? <laughs> so 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, that's where we're at. We began the, this chapter last week, and we made it down to verse 15. Um, but tonight, you know, we're going to be looking at the subject again of idolatry. Now, this is something, you know, you may be like, man, we're going to talk about idolatry again. Well, we just go through verse by verse, <laughs> right? We just go through and we see what, uh, what the scripture has for us and what we're going to see tonight. That's what it's about. It's about idolatry. Uh, and there's a little bit of a different angle than what we've seen thus far um, as we look at Jeroboam. But I want you to consider, every one of us here tonight, I want you to consider a couple questions, okay? Really just think about this. Where do you find your joy? Just consider that, okay? Where do you find your joy? Where do you find your satisfaction in life? Where do you find your fulfillment? And what is it that most consumes your thoughts? Now, I, I ask these questions because the majority of people, they do have an object of worship. Everybody worships something, right? We know that. But the majority of people have an object of worship that includes everything but God. Now, idolatry, we know, is rampant in our country. Idolatry is also becoming more and more rampant in the church. The idol of self is openly worshipped by our citizens, and it's openly worshipped by our governments. And you think about that, you know, idolatry always goes back to one thing, and it's self, right? It's me. Now, you look at uh, what's going on with, with our government. You know, I, I saw this recently. Uh, the White House, they, and I was talking to Sarah about it on the way over here. The White House, they're, as they're, they've been doing for a while now, promoting uh, evil, wickedness, pride, all those things. Um, they're, they're pushing it in people's face. All that is, church, is a worship of self. It's a worship of sin. It's a, it's a sinful ideology that they're pushing. Now... Believers, true believers in Christ, they will not openly worship the idol of self with parades and flags and social media posts. But I do fear that there are many in our midst, even tonight, uh, that are living in idolatry. And if we're honest with ourselves, I, I think that we would find that many of us are seeking satisfaction in something else outside of God. Now, this does not, when we, when we think about this, we can't think, okay, yeah, everybody else. No, you, right? What, this, this happens so often with everybody, I think, you know, uh, where we so often have a pull to something else. We're pulled away from God. or pulled away to our own self-interest uh, and our own uh, desire to seek satisfaction outside of God. Many Christians even, they, they seek fulfillment outside of Christ. And many times our thoughts are not consumed by God, right? There are a lot of times are consumed by money 
or things or a person or activities that will benefit us, right? Uh, that happens. And if this is the case, then we are living in idolatry. Now, again, idolatry has been a perpetual theme over the last two chapters, and it continues to be. Now, there, there's a reason for this, okay? God hates idolatry. He hates it. Deuteronomy tells us that the worship of graven images or <coughs> idolatry, uh, idols in general, is an abomination to him. You're often told in the New Testament to flee idolatry. Now, you may say, well, why does God hate it so bad? Well, Exodus chapter 20, when, when he's giving the Ten Commandments, he said this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. And he says, For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He hates it. So why does he hate it? He hates it because when we have an idol in our life, we are putting something else in the place where only he belongs. And he's jealous of our worship, as he is the only one that's worthy of it to begin with. And there's none that is worthy of being worshipped besides him. None other deserve our praise, our love, our adoration, including ourselves. Only him, only God. And he is rightfully jealous for it. So tonight, I want you to just examine yourself. Think about this, okay? What consumes your heart and mind? Because whatever it is that consumes your thoughts and consumes your heart, that is your God. Now, whenever idolatry takes place, there's a cause. There's a reason for it. And in our text this evening, we find three reasons that Jeroboam would become an idolatrous king. And again, we're going to see, he was warned about this, right? He was told by God, listen, if you just, if you just stick with me, if you just obey my commands, you just do what I tell you to do, then you will be blessed. Now, I'm going to bless you spiritually and, and physically. Uh, and, and there was a reason, though, there were three reasons that we're going to see uh, as to why he became an idolatrous king. And, and these reasons resonate with the majority of Christians today that do chase things outside of God. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll start with verse 16 and read down to verse 19. And then we'll go ahead and pray. Read, and we'll see in verse 16 here. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed into their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that tonight you'll help us all to just examine our hearts. And Lord, we know that uh, as it's been said, that our every heart is an idle factory. Uh, we always are constantly being pulled in, in a different direction than you'd have us go. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to just always... Uh, go to you. May you help us to flee idolatry, help us to just seek you, to seek the kingdom of God and your righteousness. I pray that you'll help us to set our affections on the things above, not on the things of earth, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you'll just show us tonight what we need. We thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts, in your name. Amen. Well, as we see here from verse 16 to 19, we see that, that God has brought his plan to fruition right there. 
Remember, the Israelites, they, they, uh, he said to Jeroboam, look, you're going to have ten tribes. You're going to be king over ten tribes. And uh, we see this happening here. And uh, <clears throat> in these verses, the Israelites defiantly abandon the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and they cut ties with them. And we know why, right? Because the, the yoke of bondage that Rehoboam was going to put on the, on the children of Israel, right? He said, instead of, instead of loosening the yoke, instead of uh, uh, lightening their load, instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you even more of a burden. Instead of doing what my father did and whipping you with whips, I'm going to whip you with scorpions, he said. So the Israelites, they were not having any of this. They, they decided, you know what? We're not dealing with this. We're done. We're going we're gonna to break off from you. And now, <clears throat> in verse 18, we see here, let's, let's look at this. This is interesting. Look at verse 18. It says, Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. So in, in that, we see that Rehoboam, he foolishly sends a poor man named Adoram on a suicide mission. He sent him to go try to negotiate with the Israelites. Now let's, now let's just take a minute to remember, okay? Why were the Israelites upset? Why did they want to be released? Why did they, why, what, what did they mean by, you know, uh, lessening our load why, and the yoke of bondage? Again, taxes. They wanted less taxes. They wanted less work. They did not want to be going nonstop at 110 all the time like Solomon had them doing. But Adoram, he was the chief of taxation and forced labor. So Rehoboam says, hey, why don't you just go down there and, and try to negotiate with these people? Uh, and the Israelites, obviously, anybody in their right mind would know that uh, the Israelites would not be too thrilled to see this man since he was over the uh, taxation and forced labor, and they were not. They stoned him because they did not want him there. They did not want him around. So Rehoboam's Rain has not started off very good, has it? He's having a lot of issues. He's having a lot of problems. So uh, in their anger and in their rebellion against Rehoboam, they stone Adoram, and this prompted Rehoboam to flee the kingdom headquarters uh, and to go to Jerusalem, which would be the kingdom headquarters, uh, for safety. And again, just as God intended, <clears throat> Jeroboam, he was sought out once again, and then he was crowned as a king of these ten tribes. Look at verse 20. It says, and it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation, and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So again, we see here, just as God ordained, these tribes split, and Jeroboam became the king. Now, uh, we talked about this a lot, but this again shows us, church, that when God says something, we can know he's going to do it. When God says uh, and, and makes a promise and he says, listen, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, we can know that he's going to follow through. He's not going to uh, go back on his word. And this, of course, <clears throat> the, the split of these two tribes, it would cause a great rift between these two kingdoms. And Rehoboam, he was so upset about this that he even geared up for war. But God informed him that this entire situation was done by himself. So look at verse 21. It says in verse 21, And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the, the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, 
and the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah, Benjamin, and the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearken therefore to the word of the Lord, and return to depart according to the word of the Lord. So, the northern and the southern kingdom, they, had, they would eventually have many years of war after this time, but for now, they remained at peace. God used the prophet of God to tell Rehoboam, hey, listen, this came from me. I did this, so do not go to war. And we finally see Rehoboam make a wise choice. We finally see him make a good decision, and he exercised wisdom, and he followed what God said to do. And now we come upon the idolatry of Jeroboam. Now remember, God said if Jeroboam would just be obedient to him and forsake all of the gods, and he would be mightily blessed, but Jeroboam did not heed God's promises. Look at verse 28. <clears throat> look at verse 28 here. Or I'm sorry, let's look at verse... Yeah, we'll look at verse 28. Look what it says here. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two cows of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, we would say... You know, just reading this, man, what a crazy, what a crazy thing for him to do. What a foolish man. But how similar, church, is this to us? Listen, we know God's will. We know God's word. We know how holy he is. We know how worthy he is of our praise and our worship, and yet we so often go astray and chase after something else, just like Jeroboam. Now, this idolatry that we find with the Israelites and Jeroboam, it's very similar to the situation that we find in Exodus. In Exodus 32, as the Israelites, they got delivered from the bondage of, of Pharaoh in Egypt in Exodus 32. And uh, in, this, in this chapter here, we see that the Israelites too had recently been delivered out of bondage. It's almost like reading the same story. Uh, the Israelites, they, they were released from the yoke of Pharaoh, and then they immediately turned to idolatry in the form of golden calves. And likewise, in our text here, the Israelites, they had gotten out from under the bondage of Rehoboam, and they do the exact same thing. It's like history is repeating itself. Let's go there to Exodus chapter 32 to see this. Exodus chapter 32. Look at Exodus 32. Look at verse 1. It says in verse 1, And the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, and the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron, and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, he wot not what is become of him. We wot not what is become of him. Let me just stop right there, okay? First thing, Israelites, they have this all backwards. It was not Moses that brought them out of Egypt. It was God. God brought them out of Egypt. Look at verse 2. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. So instead of, for stand, instead of Aaron standing for righteousness, what does he do? He's pandering. He's pandering to these people's sinful desires. And look at verse 3. It says, And all the people break off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graven tool, 
after he had made it with a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. It's crazy. Crazy. If we know, again, we know anything about God, we know he hates idolatry, and yet Aaron, he panders to these people. Uh, he, he decides to uh, let them do this, and he helps uh, take part in, in making these golden images. But God, he hates it, and he's made it very clear many times how, how much he hates idolatry and how vile and disgusting it is in his sight, and he does so here as well. Look at verse 5. It says, When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. <laughs> and they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people which, brought us, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made a molten calf and have worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So I think it's safe to say that God's a little bit mad here. He's just a little bit upset about what's happening. I mean, here he was, Moses was uh, up on the mount, and he says, you need to get down there, and you need to fix this. Now, we know what God would probably have done if he fixed it. He would have really fixed it. Uh, but he was not happy. He, his, his anger waxed hot. He hates idolatry. Now, again, going back to Exodus 20, God explained, hey, listen, I'm the one that delivered you from Egypt. And he told them, do not worship any other god besides me. So we see here how the sin of idolatry is an affront to God. Now, any child of God that knows this is true, they are going to want to run away from idolatry, not cling to it. And truly, again, every day is a battle. Uh, every day, you're, you're, you're given the opportunity to commit idolatry. You're given the opportunity to chase after something besides God, and it is, it is a battle. So again, we must determine the cause of this. We have to be submitted to Christ, and we have to be yielded to His Spirit. Uh, we need to be giving Him the preeminence in our life because He really, we really do owe Him everything. I mean, just look at what He's done for you. We've been singing songs all day about the, the love of God and the power of the cross. And, uh, and just considering uh, what happened here with the, with the Israelites, both when they were delivered from Egypt and considering uh, what happened as they were able to be delivered from Rehoboam, you understand that God is the one that allowed that to happen. God is the one that released them from Egypt. God is the one that released them from the bondage of Rehoboam. And church, listen, if you have trusted in Christ, He has delivered you from the bondage of sin. He's freed you from the condemnation of sin. He's uh, released you from the power of sin. You just remember this morning's message. It's God. It's Christ. He's the one that has the power to save us. We owe Him everything. And one theologian rightfully said that uh, if Christ is not valued above all, then he's not valued at all. Listen, we need to value him above all. But do you value Christ above all other things? We need to flee idolatry and run to Christ. Now, in order to do this properly, church, we have to understand where idolatry is born. Idolatry always starts somewhere. You don't just wake up one day, and find yourself suddenly in the midst of idolatry. There's always a process, there's always a reason behind it. And again, if we're truly saved, 
if we're really born again, we're going to want to avoid it. And in this uh, text, in our text of 1 Kings 12, and the tragic story of Rehoboam, we find a recipe that leads to disaster. We find uh, three key ingredients that lead people into idolatry, and oftentimes only one has to happen before the others follow. There were three causes that led Jeroboam to the worship of false gods. And I want you to understand this closely. Listen, it was a lack of trust in God, it was a lack of love for God, and it was a lack of fear for God. Now, each day, we all need to be living our life, trusting God, loving God, and fearing God. And if we fail to do that, we will soon be looking to find pleasure and joy and fulfillment in something else besides God. And then we, of course, are going to come up empty, and we're going to grieve God Almighty. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter uh, 12. And uh, look at 1 Kings chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 25. Now remember, we talked about idolatry quite a bit with Solomon. And Jeroboam, really, he is like Solomon in the fact that he serves to us as an example of how to avoid this great downfall and idolatry. But first, we're going to see the fact that Jeroboam got involved in idol worship in part due to a lack of trust in God. So look at verse 25 of chapter 12. It says in verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and, bit, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up and do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So, this is really kind of interesting. For seemingly no reason at all, besides his own doubtful thoughts, Jeroboam thinks that the kingdom's going to go back to Rehoboam unless he takes matters into his own hands. Now again, remember, in 1 Kings 11, God promised him if he would just stay faithful, then he will remain king. He promised him, if you just do what I tell you to do, everything's going to be fine. And the same God that brought him to this position uh, of being king would keep him there if he just would stay obedient and follow his ways. And yet, he doubted God. He doubted his promise. He lacked a trust in God. And it's interesting that we see that after building and fortifying these cities, suddenly a thought just comes upon him. Out of nowhere, he begins to doubt God. He all of a sudden just thinks, Oh man, the kingdom's going to all go back to Rehoboam. And this, this thought just kind of came to him out of nowhere. Now surely we've all had times where uh, seemingly out of nowhere, doubt has come to our mind, right? And we've all had that happen. Uh, things could be going smoothly, things could be going great, and then you may be making progress in your Christian life. Uh, the Lord's working in your heart and he's making you more like his son. Uh, and then out of nowhere, a thought comes to your mind that displays a lack of trust in God. Or maybe a sinful thought comes your way, or a thought of doubt. You know, maybe you've had times where just out of nowhere you just think, well, what if, what if the bottom falls out? What if everything in my life suddenly goes wrong? Or what if uh, I lose financial stability? Or what if uh, I lose everything that I own? Now, having these thoughts are not necessarily sin, but what follows absolutely can be sin. 
You know, when we have these thoughts of doubts, we need to remind ourselves that God can be trusted. He can be trusted. And we need to go to Scripture and be reminded of His promises. We need to go to His Word and do what Proverbs tells us and trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not into thine own understandings. Listen, church, we can trust His promises. We can trust His words. And if we have doubts about the faithfulness and truth of God, if we do not trust Him like we should, then that could lead to idolatry because if we do not trust in God, then we are automatically putting our trust into something or someone else and we do this in an attempt to have stability and this is what happened with Jeroboam once he had these thoughts of doubts he was then at a crossroads do I trust God or do I take matters into my own hands and what do you think he did <laughs> he took matters into his own hands look at verse 28 it says whereupon the king took counsel and made two cows of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So he was saying here that uh, it's too much for them to go and observe uh, the Lord uh, in Jerusalem. It's too far of a trip. But here's the thing, okay? Instead of him going to God and seeking answers from him, what does he do? He took counsel elsewhere, right? He sought advice from the wrong people. When all he had to do was seek the Lord. All he had to do was hang on to the words of the Lord. But he lacked trust in God. And this would lead him to build the golden calves and worship them. Now again, we may shake our heads at Jeroboam for his lack of trusting God. And just taking matters into his own hands. But church, again, how often do we do the exact same thing? So I want you to think about this tonight. How often are you chasing so hard after the idol of money as if God's not going to take care of you? How often are you tempted to sacrifice spiritual things for work because you're concerned about your business or your own financial gain? How often do you fail to trust God and you're just worrying about everything and how it's all going to fall apart when God has told us that He is sovereign over all things and He is in control? How often do we look to take matters into our own hands instead of just doing what God says and being still and knowing that He is God? How often do we fail to bring our fears and anxieties and stress to God and instead we look to other ways to deal with it? Look, we can and we must trust in God. Listen, He's never failed. He's never failed. And He's not going to fail you now. And if we trust in anything else, idolatry will follow. And you know, when we fail to trust God, we're like Jeroboam, we're like the Israelites, because really what happened there is they forgot that God is God. Hey, listen, when you fail to trust God, when I fail to trust God, we are forgetting that He is the ruler and creator of all things. When we fail to trust God, we're forgetting that He is in control. Listen, do you understand how mighty and powerful God is? Do you understand how, how powerful He is? I like what a friend of mine once said. He said that to fail to trust God is to forget that every drop of rain goes exactly where He tells it to. Look, our, our God is the ruler of all things. Uh, he can do anything. He has everything under control. We can trust Him. No matter what happens.
happens in our life, we can know that he is still God. And like Jeroboam, you may worry out of nowhere that the bottom's going to fall out. You may worry and think of the worst case scenario. You may be in the midst even right now of what seems to be the the beginning of an earth shattering uh, events in your life. But regardless of what happens to us here on earth, God will always be God. And what a comfort that is. No matter what happens to us here on earth, we can know that we're not outside of God's sovereign control and He is by our side. You know, Psalm chapter 46, I think I went to that place recently, maybe it was on Wednesday night, but this is what the psalmist said. He said, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling thereof, God is in the midst of her. Hey, listen, it doesn't get much worse than, than these things happening, does it? I mean, that's some pretty big catastrophes that he's talking about in Psalm 46. What he's telling us there is that we can trust God in all things, no matter what. So look, church, we need to trust in God. Jeroboam lacked a trust in God, which led him to crafting these golden calves. But he also had a lack of love for God. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 13, look at verse 28. He lacked a love for God. Look at verse 28. <clears throat> Verse 28 says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. So Jeroboam and the Israelites, you understand, they should have loved God for many reasons, right? One of which being the fact that he released them from Egypt many years ago. Now he's allowed them to be released from uh, Rehoboam. Uh, they should have loved God for his power, for his mercy, for his authority, uh, for the fact that he provided for his children all those years with food, uh, manna from heaven, water, and now they were in a time of peace. They should have loved him. They should have given him credit for what he had done and given him high praise for what he had done. But instead, again, they're giving credit to false gods. And this stemmed from a lack of genuine love for God. And this is also why Jeroboam went elsewhere for counsel instead of going to God. Because he did not love God enough to be concerned with his will, to be concerned with his word. He was not concerned about the spiritual state of Israel. He was only concerned about his power. He wasn't concerned with God being put in his rightful place, but only his selfish desires and his wants. And he used the golden calves and false religion for his own selfish gain. Tony Morita said that many people, like Jeroboam, they want to use God, but not love God. And he said, how different are true followers in Christ? True disciples, they find the glory of God beautiful while a vain and religious person only finds him useful. To many, God is only a means of people's own twisted end. And that's what we find with Jeroboam. Listen, church, we're never to use God for our own selfish gain. We are to love God with all of our heart. We're to worship God with everything that we have. And we are to do so because he is God. Not because of what he can do for us, but because he is 
God. And you know, I, I, I've seen before where so-called professing Christians, they seek God for what he can do for them instead of seeking God simply because of the fact that he's God. Look, we need to love God for who he is. We, we must not follow Christ for what he can give us, but rather because he is worthy. Hey, you understand? He's worthy even if you have nothing. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of all blessing and honor and worship and glory. He's worthy of our love. And he wants us to worship him with and love him with all of our heart, not because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. Now we see this happen a lot in the New Testament, don't we? With Mark, there's throngs of people. They come to Jesus and they want healing, physical healing, but very few want spiritual healing. They want what God could do for them physically, but they don't want what he could do for their sin. They want to hold on to their sin. But we are to love God uh, for who he is. And the command to love God with everything that we have, it was commanded repeatedly to Israel. And I want to go to one place where that talks about that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You all know this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. In verse 5, look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now this command, it was obviously written to Israel, but it was also spoken of Jesus several times in the Gospels to his disciples which shows this church that it still applies to us. It applies to us today. Christ still wants our heart. Christ still yearns for our love. Now here's the awesome thing. When we love God, it is then that idolatry will take care of itself. If we love God as we should, we're going to be much less susceptible to chase after anything else besides God. When we love God, then we will hate sin. We will hate evil. We will hate idolatry. Now, we often think God demands a million little things from us, like our, our money or our time, our effort, our will and submission and our service, among other things. But what God really wants, church, is our heart. God wants our love. He, he wants us to love Him. And when we love Him, everything else will be freely given to Him. If we give God our heart, the rest will take care of itself. Let's go to Psalm 97. Psalm 97, verse 10. Psalm 97. Jeroboam lacked love for God, and it got him in this big mess. And we're going to see the devastating results of that <clears throat> later on in ver uh, chapter 13. But look at Psalm 97, verse 10. It says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Hey, listen, do you love God? Do you hate evil? And I'm not talking about everybody else's evil. I'm not talking about the evil that you see on the news. Do you hate your evil? Do you hate your sin? Do you hate your wickedness? Do you hate your tendency to be an adult, uh, an, uh, somebody that goes into idolatry? Do you love God? 
Loving God is something that we daily have to work to cultivate. And how often do we love God as we are commanded to? Just think about that. He says that we are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. Do you know how hard that is? I can't say for sure, but I, th I think it might be safe to say that none of us here have ever done that. Not, maybe not even for a few moments. That is a high bar, which again teaches us that it is a constant work. It's, something, it's a constant battle. Uh, and it's just to, to love and know God. And listen, the more that we know God, the more that we love God, the more we will hate evil. You know, think about it, a husband and wife. In order for a love between a husband and a wife to grow, it takes work, right? It takes time. It takes getting to know each other. Uh, it takes uh, just talking to each other. Well, listen, so it is with God. It takes time. It takes getting to know God. And when we take the time, really, to reflect on what God has done for us, tell me this, how could we not love Him? We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. And how did He first love us? By sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins in our place when we deserve to have the wrath of God placed on us. We love Him because He first loved us. So knowing the extent that, that God went for us, how could we not love God? Knowing that He gave His Son to die for us, how could we not love Him? Knowing that He gave His best when He gave us Christ, how could we not love Him immensely? Jeroboam, he did not love God. <clears throat> and it led to his lo him loving other things like power and prominence. And this took part in him uh, going to idolatry. So consider, do you love God? Are you actively living your life in an effort to love Him more? How do you get to know God more? How do you get to love Him more? You go to the Word. The Word of God. You pray. You read. You, you seek God. But Jeroboam, he didn't do that. And lastly, we see that he, went to, he got involved in idolatry because he had a lack of fear of God. Let's go back to our text <clears throat> in 1 Kings chapter 12. And I'm not going to belabor this point for time's sake, but look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Look at verse 31. It says, And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made, and placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar, which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar burnt incense. Now again, I'm not going to belabor this point, but Jeroboam, he had no respect or fear of God. And I'm not talking about the, the kind of fear where he's shaking and trembling, which really at this point with all the crazy things he's doing, he should have been shaking and trembling because he's messed up big time. But I'm talking about the kind of fear uh, where uh, you are respecting God's word and his law and you are looking to obey it. He did not do this. You understand, Jeroboam, he defied God's commands in many ways. And for one, we already know, he led the Israelites into the worship of idols. So that right there, that just shows a disregard for God. And by the way, whenever you disregard God's word in one area, you might as well just throw everything out, right? And how often do we see this in our society? And how often do we see this in the church? This is what happened with Jeroboam. 
Once one thing went out the window, everything else, was, it, was, it was okay. It was just a free-for-all. But not only that, he also, as we see from verse 31, look at it there. It says, he made uh, in house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So he didn't just disregard God in, in the uh, idol worship, but he also made priests out of men that were not of the descendants of Aaron. Okay, in Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, God tells us that when they had priests back in these days, that they were only to be descendants of Aaron. So again, he's disregarding all what God had said. And then also, we see from verse 32 and verse 33, that he made his own feast, and he ignored the feasts that were ordained by God. And we see here, I mentioned these, these feasts uh, in the eighth month, uh, and in Deuteronomy chapter 16, it talks about the feast that God ordained. He had three feasts a year. Uh, but Jeroboam, he just said, you know what? We're just going to forget about going to, the, to Jerusalem for these feasts, and we're just going to have our own feasts. We're just going to do things our way. We're going to do things the way that I see fit. Again, how often do we see this in our country? How often do we see this in our own life? Where we decide and we desire to do that which is right in our own eyes instead of what's right in the eyes of God. But time after time, <clears throat> Jeroboam rejected God's word. He did things his way. He did not care about God's word. He did not care about God's commands. He did not fear God, and this led him to worship false gods. Proverbs 8.13 tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Just as the love of God is going to make us hate evil, the fear of God is going to make us hate evil as well. But Jeroboam, he decided to do things his own way instead of God's. He did not hate the evil that was in his heart. Instead, he clung to it. He flaunted it. He did not desire to obey God in reverence to him, but instead he followed his heart. Hey, listen. A lot of times people say this, just follow your heart. No, don't follow your hearts. Listen, never, ever, ever follow your heart. Follow God. We know the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So if you follow it, you're in for a terrible time. Follow God. Don't follow your heart. Now, again, as I, I mentioned, you know, there's, he, he worshipped golden calves here. Jeroboam did. But today, <clears throat> a golden calf isn't typically our, our normal threat, is it? Uh, for uh, As far as idol worship, it's not really a threat to our worship of Christ. We don't have people, at least I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't seen people in our country or in our area worshiping a golden calf or anything like that. But many things are a threat to our worship of Christ. Uh, again, all various forms of modern-day idolatry, they have one thing at their core, and that is self. Self. You think about the very beginning of time, we've been concerned about ourselves, haven't we? You consider part of Satan's promise <coughs> to Eve was that if she disobeyed God and she ate of that fruit... Great things were going to happen, right? And one thing specifically was Satan said, you will be as gods. Which, of course, was implying that she would be like the God. But in reality, there's nobody like God. He is the Holy One. He is the perfect God. He is completely set apart from all others. There is none like Him, and there will never be anybody else like Him. He is the only one worthy of our worship. So, so often, idol worship, it stems from one of those three causes, a lack of trust of God, a lack of love for God, and a lack of fear of God. 
And the best way to keep ourselves from idols is simply to draw near to God. To love God for who He is and all that He is. And to uh, live to love Christ more than we love everything else. To abide with Him day in and day out. That is the best way. To just know God. Get to know Him every single day. So church, trust Him, love Him, fear Him. If you do those things... You will be blessed. You'll be spiritually blessed. And you will bring God great pleasure and honor and glory. And you won't regret it. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God.